0: welcome to Outrage and Optimism. I'm Tom Rivett-Karnak. This week we extend to you an invitation to sit back and enjoy a special bonus episode. Introducing the brand new arts and ecology podcast brought to you by the Dartington Art School. Thanks for being here. Hi everyone, it's Tom here. So this week we've teamed up with the folks at Dartington Art School to co-produce the first episode of their exciting new podcast, Arts and Ecology. In this episode, Sarah, our executive producer at Outrage and Optimism, together with Natasha, one of the co hosts of the Arts and Ecology podcast, get together to explore Our Time on Earth, which is the title of a major exhibition currently running at the Barbican in London. The exhibition, which is amazing, celebrates the role of global creativity to transform the conversation around the climate emergency. On the Outrage and Optimism podcast, we've previously had solutions from guests working across the creative sectors. In particular, I think back on the discussions we had with artists, writers, and filmmakers like Oliver Jeffers, Kim Stanley Robinson, and Adam McKay, who've offered different views on the role of the creative industries can play and should play in tackling the ecological crisis, not to mention our wonderful weekly music guest contribution to this question. If you enjoy these conversations, the Arts and Ecology podcast offers a lens on the intersection of art, ecology and culture and promises an exciting and thought-provoking series delving into some of the key questions that creatives working on an ecological crisis are facing. Be sure to check out their links in the show notes and hit subscribe. So, without further ado, I'll hand you over to Natasha and the Arts and Ecology team as they guide you through the incredible conversations with the exhibition's contributors. We hope you enjoy the range of radical visions on offer for a future that is still ours to choose. Here's the episode.
1: welcome listeners thanks for joining us arts and ecology is a conversation about the vital role art and culture play in creating a regenerative future this week we interview caroline till a curator of the barbican's our time on earth exhibition we also hear from artists and designers from the show we hope you enjoy this episode thanks for listening Caroline, well, thank you so much for being here with us and welcome. Thank you. It's so exciting to be having this conversation. I usually start our interviews by talking about what your relationship with nature was like growing up as a child. I wonder if you could speak to that a bit.
2: So I grew up in Hertfordshire, um, a relatively average kind of suburban uh, market town, I suppose. But my mum was a very avid gardener. You know, We didn't have a huge amount of outside space, but she always put in a lot of effort to it there was particularly I suppose some of my earliest memories there was a bit at the end of the garden which she always used to call the wild bit so she would just leave it sometimes plant you know wildflowers or let nature do its own thing Um, she was probably you know slightly more advanced thinking about the importance of that for biodiversity and natural habitats and things so Uh, I just remember spending a lot of time in that bit. (laughs) And and particularly, I think, you know, I've always been really passionate about creativity and making. And I just remember spending a lot of time making little meals out of, you know, various different leaves and things. And there was always some kind of play-based creative activity going on in my mind that, um, and I I think I, quite early saw nature as an opportunity for creativity and and making and you know whether that was weaving with grass or yeah I just have these very fond memories of spending a lot of time in this this wild bit as we called it at the end of the garden.
1: Hmm. I love that image of of the wild bit and the making in the wild bit and I can see so much of you in that and your work in that thank you for sharing.
3: Caroline, I'm really interested to hear about how the opportunity for the exhibition at the Barbican at Our Time on Earth came about. Um, I understand you're co-curator of it. Could you maybe speak a little bit about why now and how that unfolded? Yeah, sure. So
2: we first came into contact with um, Luke Kemp, who is the co-director of Barbican International Enterprises, one of the two art centres within the Barbican, in December of 2018. Um, So they read our book. So Kate and I wrote a book called Radical Matter, Rethinking Materials for a Sustainable Future, which was sort of basically bringing together about 15 years worth of research. And, you know, we been working in material innovation and trying to support big corporations to shift towards more sustainable practices. I'd also in the past founded a master's at Central St. Martins called Material Futures, um, looking at the role of materiality to sort of build us a more sustainable future and thinking about materials as the of the, the building blocks of design. If we think about materials as you know extracting and uh how we process them and you know where they go at the end of life, we can have huge impact. So so yeah, there was all this kind of work going on in the background and the Barbican reached out to us having read Radical Matter and invited us in. And I think once we showed them a bit more of the work that we were doing, they could see this the kind of breadth of our approach and um, we had done exhibitions before we'd done commissioning of, of new work around the sustainable agenda but it, it hadn't necessarily been in the public domain we'd done a lot of work for for private clients or Yeah. For for large scale corporations. So, yeah, I think the conversation started then and then we were invited to pitch to show how we would approach an exhibition exploring the massive topic of climate emergency. And I suppose as people that are deeply, deeply entrenched in the subject matter and passionate about the role of design art and culture to... Show us other ways of being and seeing, and passionate about the ingenuity that design can bring to such complex subjects. It was a dream project, so yeah, we were invited on board. I think in January, 2019, as guest curators to work uh, very deeply on alongside Luke and his team at Barbican International Enterprises, which ended up to be yes, a two-year-long
3: project to guest curate uh, what is now our time on Earth. Thank you. That sounds like an incredible journey. And um, Natasha and I loved the exhibition when we went to see it recently. And I was really struck after coming away and having processed it, how it would have been if I started at the end of the exhibition and walked back through to the beginning. And I really, it struck me, it wouldn't have had the same effect. And I was really interested in the three stages, which are Belong, Imagine and Engage. And belonging is obviously an emotion. Um, It's a feeling where, obviously, imagine and engage are more active. And I think a lot of the conversations we have on the Outrage and Optimism podcast is around engaging a mindset shift. Could you talk maybe about the, the decision to structure the exhibition like that and how important you think that mindset shift is and how art speaks to that? Definitely. I think because of
2: the focus on materiality in our work at Franklin Till, the consultancy that Kate and I run together, we know that making an issue tangible brings it to life and gives it the opportunity more to experience it more deeply. Um, and we also, you know, passionately believe that design, art, and culture have this seductive power to help mold new mindsets and nudge new behaviors into place. Um, and we really wanted to make an emotional link between climate emergency and people's everyday lives. And I think on a simple level, tell the incredible stories of the natural world in a way that hopefully resonated with people. So, yeah, as you mentioned, our time on earth as an exhibition is loosely told in three chapters, belong, imagine and engage. We wanted it to feel like a story, I suppose, and feel like a journey um, to to honour the power of, storytelling and open with this sense of quite a meditative feel the whole ambition of the project was to take a very optimistic approach um, we felt that climate emergency as a subject within the cultural sector had often been dominated by stories of kind of doom and gloom and often if you know we've been depicting the scale of the problem very well and obviously making things tangible and visual in that way you know is is powerful but it feels that often that leaves us with this sense of of shame and you know then ultimately paralysis and you're a bit kind of you don't know what to do next it's it's something I see in students time and time again that they almost realize that actually you know the best thing they could do is not get out of bed in the morning because you know ultimately then they're not going to be creating more but um but we you know that's not where we wanted to begin we wanted to open with awe basically to open with this sense of oh my goodness we're a living being within a living planet and isn't that just incredible yeah so belong is aiming to establish and explore our deep interconnectedness with other species and sort of trying to gently tease out our place in the biosphere Uh, and it opens we have this sort of antechamber when you uh, first enter the exhibition there's just a space um, which is shrouded with fabric with curtain and there's an audio playing which is uh, which was written by Andres roberts the founder of the bioleadership um, project And it's spoken by Speech De Bell, a British rapper. And it's inviting people to take a breath um, and sort of meditate almost on their connection as living beings within a living planet. And I think the words say breathe and then you literally hear this kind of inhale, this slow inhalation and slow exhalation and says breathe. um, Your breath comes from sea creatures and trees, just one breath shared by all living things. And I think when we gave the words that Andrus wrote to Speech to Bell, and she said something lovely. She said, oh, this needs to be said with a smile, which I thought was a really nice, you know, she she obviously kind of got what we were trying to achieve with those words. So, yeah, belong is is this establishing the interconnectivity. Um, then imagine is the main body of work. I suppose it features 10 works framed by 10 provocations, which, you know, to be met head on that are urging visitors to reconsider What our future societies and communities could look like and feel like if we were to more deeply respect and work in tune with the natural world. So that each framed by these provocations, for example, imagine a world in which um, clothing is biologically fabricated, imagine a world in which humans retreat, or imagine a world in which we cherish the soil on which our lives depend. And they're all featuring often multidisciplinary collaborations. So bringing together ecologists with uh, scientists, with digital creatives, with artists, with designers. So really trying to show a sort of multitude of approaches and acknowledge that, you know, there is no kind of silver bullet. And then the closing chapter, the third element of the story is called engage which is trying to sort of bring people back down to earth hopefully they feel inspired and invigorated by what they've experienced and imagined but we wanted to to sort of make the point that actually a climate emergency is not something that's in the future it's it's are happening now and it's impacting people in a in a very um, uneven way across the world that you know there's some communities that are being deeply impacted while others are, are having very little impact at the moment so we commissioned a collective called Earth Issue to create stories of change which are 10 short films featuring sort of change makers or young activists who are spearheading grassroots environmental initiatives around the world so it's It's showing how their communities are being very impacted by climate emergency right now, but also trying to show that, you know, through collective action, through kind of coming together, we can start to counteract these issues. And then the exhibition just as a final note that aims to close as it opens with a note of reflection and meditation with, with a sonic experience by Silent Studios in collaboration with the artist Damon Albarn a track taken from his solo album, Nearer the Fountain, The More Pure the Stream Flows. And it's kind of integrated with these red sound frequencies that are, it's a sonic vibration that's supposed to to calm our sort of body and mind. So it's closing with that sense of, of meditation.
1: Yeah. Thanks for walking us through. I feel like I was there again. I really enjoyed that. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> I was feeling it again. It was really <laughs> lovely. Um, I wonder, Carol, if I could just probe a little deeper on this, um, You know, as you were talking, I was thinking a lot about how it felt like you really blurred these boundaries between art, design, innovation, craft, material, in order to tell this story. And you were more, it felt like the story took precedent over any ideology or any um, allegiance to a particular discipline or method. And it just struck me that that's something that happens in the climate space all the time, because that's how you have to solve this problem, right? Is by all working together and working across disciplines but sometimes in the arts I feel like we get stuck in these little silos and that's something that we try and do a lot at Dartington is try to get out of those silos and start working with our heart our head and our hand is one of the things that we talk about Um, but I just wondered if we could hear a bit more about how you feel that impacts particularly things like making it more accessible for a diverse audience
2: yeah I mean I think Exactly as you're saying, sort of cross-disciplinary collaboration was totally key to this project. So almost as a call to reach across boundaries and frontiers in order to create new ideas and new systems and structures and to acknowledge that no singular approach can counteract the damage that's been done already but really it's about acknowledging those intersections and combining experience and expertise. And, you know, that's, we really found that that's where the magic happens. So it was really important to, to bring together different disciplines. And I think particularly provide platforms for ideas that felt really important. Um, I think, we can get quite caught up in the Western world with this idea of, you know, reconnecting to nature as, as, as novel. And, you know, there really is nothing new about this. It's I think we really wanted to place emphasis on the fact that our indigenous brothers and sisters have, you know, they, they have this idea of deep connection to source and nature at the very heart of their, their philosophy and how they see the world. So it was a really important, point to have um, the provocation, imagine a world in which the future is indigenous at the very heart of the exhibition. So we we had the privilege of collaborating deeply with uh, an organization called Choose Earth and, and a group called Servalgen, a group of indigenous leaders from Brazil. And they create these, what they call Arrows, which is a short film to basically communicate their philosophy, to show the world how they see their relationship with nature and how entrenched their philosophies are within the natural world. And for me, that film is almost one of the, is the heart of the exhibition. We're trying to establish that rather than that being seen as, as primitive or backward, it's actually way in advance of Of often where our thinking is coming from which is they called us actually the people of merchandise which I think is quite interesting and quite accurate to be honest on on the calls and as part of the collaboration we had this beautiful commission so Cecilia Cecilia Chakrabah and Sonia Gujajara two of the Indigenous leaders wrote this letter uh, a love letter to the earth and that formed the kind of basis of of their commission, which that was then incorporated into a series of of, of hanging banners that brought to life this letter to the earth, and then also this film piece. So I think providing a really important platform to show that the ideas that we're showcasing are are not new; they're you know very entrenched, particularly in an indigenous culture. I guess going back to this point about cross-disciplinary collaboration there were lots of amazing ecological thinkers that we had conversations with like Bridget Baptiste the Colombian ecologist who's got the most incredible TED talk called Queer Nature and um, she just really asserts that there's nothing more queer than nature and believes that you know as humans we have a very binary and singular sense of identity and if indeed we're going to be able to counteract the issues of climate emergency we need to adopt a, a much more fluid and adaptive mindset. So she's kind of questioning you know if we have such binary identities of our own gender how can we possibly adopt the fluidity that is needed for a future characterized by climate emergency so and these ideas are quite i guess abstract in in some ways to some people so you know we were really inspired by the idea of partnering her with a design uh, agency or a digital agency that could basically bring these ideas to life. So hence where the the collaboration between the Institute of Digital Fashion came about to create that into an experience in which the visitor is placed at the centre. And there was a very similar approach with the work, the provocation, Imagine a a World in Which We Cherish the Soil on Which Our Lives Depends, which was a collaboration between George Monbiot, the ecologist and writer and um, Halition, another amazing digital uh, company exploring interactive technologies. So through sort of teasing out George's incredibly deep knowledge of, of the role of soil in our ecosystems, we could sort of bring that to life and again, tell the story of that. So often these collaborations were about sort of telling those stories in ways, as I said, that place the visitor at the centre so that, you know, they could they could hopefully become meaningful and inspiring and make these ideas a bit more tangible.
1: Caroline, I know mean, we sort of talked around this a lot, but I feel like um, there's something at the heart of the exhibition and the work that you do and the way you frame things, which really is about an artist's response to an ecological crisis and taking the word artist, you know, really broadly. Um, could you speak more to what how this has influenced you and changed you, maybe developed your ideas around that?
2: I think at the heart of this show is is a sense of optimism. I think that's something that Kate and I came to the project at the very fore. So we're we are climate optimists. We see... This, you know the, the scale and the of the issue but at the same time we want to find a constructive way through and I think something we've talked about is is you know this is a this is a, a a multimedia show i suppose you know there's this sort of convergence of design which is perhaps considered a more pragmatic problem solving approach there's you know s- some more artistic approaches that are perhaps about questioning about um reflecting or mirroring back where we are and where we could be but i suppose with the commonality in a way between every single artist or designer d- depending on how they define themselves within this exhibition is that sense of that kind of root of of optimism and wanting to use their discipline to help an audience to navigate to ask new questions or difficult questions to project ideas that that challenge us and that sort of shift us you know or shift our mindset I guess I think of the work of Joanna Macy, the incredible ecological sort of thinker and theorist. Um, We were talking about in the early stages, her theory of the great turning that she talks about, that we are in this point of, this could be the, the sort of greatest story of human history. If we're able to sort of shift this, Ship. If we're able to re-navigate this ship, which is heading heading towards catastrophe, if we can turn this, you know, isn't this an incredible time to be alive? And it helped us to frame the work by thinking about the three points that she makes in terms of the great turning, the holding actions, so the sort of activist activity that's actually halting damage, you know, and trying to sort of lessen the damage that we're making as humans looking at the system of the fashion industry, we have this hugely polluting, fragmented industry. And if we could start to work with biologically engineered material, we could reduce that damage. So everything is a systems-based approach. And then the third aspect of the Great Turning, so uh, the shift the shift in mindset, the important shift in consciousness. And I guess that that's the biggest role that we hope that this ex- exhibition would play is that the the idea that we are this um, sort of egocentric approach that we're placing humans at the top of the biosphere and, again, the sort of thread of commonality within every work and every artist's approach within the show is trying to show how we shift from being egocentric to ecocentric as in we place the human within the biosphere as just another species So, yeah, I think it was about really showcasing that there is so many different ways of exploring this and having a real sort of hopefully plurality of voices, but with this thread of commonality that they're all the artists and designers saw that we needed to come back to seeing ourselves as just another species within a living planet.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I love that idea of watching the way that artists are working together and sort of picking up on those threads and sort of highlighting that for folks and sharing that so generously and that that's absolutely how it felt to be in the exhibition.
3: Thank you Caroline um it's been an incredible experience talking to you and I wanted to finish with the question that we usually ask on the Outrage and Optimism podcast which is if you could please tell us one thing you're most optimistic about and one thing you're most outraged about. So I think through
2: working on this exhibition, the thing that I am most optimistic about is Emerging Generations. I think it's quite a youth-centred exhibition, as in the collaborators that we've worked with. And particularly, we wanted to give a voice to youth activism through collaborations with people like The Earth Issue. And I think whenever I come into contact with, whether it's the Earth issue or the group of youth activists that we worked with to get feedback on actually the writing of um, the captions within the exhibition. So we did a a really nice workshop instigated with a company called Play Nice, who brought together various different uh, sort of uh, environmentalists working in the activism space that were all essentially younger than 21 yeah, I just see that there is this real kind of can do approach. Um, There's a fluidity, you know, there, uh, for example, with an earth issue, they're all um, fashion designers and photographers and documentary filmmakers and writers. And, you know, they have this real kind of plurality to their skills and um, shifting between roles, but still, but, you know, with this deep sense of purpose at the heart of what they're trying to do and this deep kind of care for the wider um, environmental agenda. So when I speak to them and the the level of organisation, I mean, I just, (laughs) they're so kind of switched on and... it it feels really empowering. It makes me feel old, but it, but it makes me feel simultaneously like just incredibly positive. And and when I see, you know, I took through a a group um, through the exhibition last week and there was a, a bunch of 10 and 11 year olds and just the questions they were asking were just so incredibly spot on. And So yeah, the thing that I guess I feel most optimistic about is younger generations coming up and how incredibly inspiring they are.
1: And anything you're outraged by?
2: I mean, it's probably a relatively predictable answer, but I I suppose I think we're living in a difficult time in terms of leadership um, at this point, particularly, I guess, in this country. And and, and, and many other countries across the world, but um, in terms of the leadership roles that we're seeing and the lack of focus on the environmental agenda, I guess our short-term approach in relation to that, it just, it seems utterly insane that we have so much evidence of, you know, the impact that we have made on the planet and where we're headed, yet there is so little emphasis on that in, in terms of the people in positions of power at this point in time so and I, I guess I would hope that if we can engage people in conversations that don't feel sort of finger wagging and don't feel as if we're trying to restrict people's lifestyles um although I do believe that we are going to have to start <laughs> restricting elements of our lifestyle then we can hopefully spread the message and get people more engaged
3: to realise actually the essence of what's important in terms of life. Thank you and I, I think that's really important because I think as well as there, there probably is an element of like renunciation as, as as you speak of but it's also encouraging people to see what we could do like you know that struck me as part of your exhibition that imagine is that yeah for everything that we might have to reduce like fossil fuels we can imagine a world that is completely fueled by green energy and all the benefits that comes with that so thank you I think that's really important
1: thank you Caroline it's been so it's been so exciting to talk to you and it's just been such an inspiring conversation
3: pleasure thank you so
2: much
1: What an incredible conversation that was with Caroline, I really felt she spoke to the role that art and culture can play in the ecological crisis. Not just by engaging people and firing their imagination, but in the way that artists and designers can use their work to provoke us to consider radical solutions to the crisis. As Caroline highlighted so clearly in the interview, this exhibition embraced a multidisciplinary approach, drawing in artists, writers and designers from all over the globe. We felt drawn to hear from a few of the artists and designers themselves for this episode. So with thanks to Caroline who kindly connected us, I offered two invitations to our guests. First, to speak about their story behind their involvement in the exhibition, and give you, our listeners, a sense of the work they exhibited, followed by their answer to the question, What is the artist's role during an ecological crisis? First, we spoke to Jonathan Chippendale, CEO of the award-winning design and retail agency, Holition, an agency that shapes the future of consumer experiences in fashion and beauty industries by humanizing technology. And George Mombio, writer, Guardian columnist, and environmental activist, whose latest book, Regenesis, Feeding the World Without Devouring the Planet, explores in its first chapter, The Wonders of Soil. George and Holition, were paired with each other to collaborate for the exhibition. The result is a work entitled The World Beneath Our Feet.
4: I've known Caroline Till uh, for so long that I can't actually remember when I first met her, so uh, a considerable period of time, but she, she's, she just became a thing uh, in, in our professional life at, at Tillition. Um, and, and so we've kept up over, over the years and, and she just approached us and said she was creating an exhibition at the Barbican um, Uh, around the notion of um, climate change and uh, attitudes towards ecology and would we want to collaborate and I mean it it didn't take any time at all just to say a a wholeheartedly yes absolutely it's exactly the kind of thing that we want to do and and as a studio um, you know we're a commercial studio we do a lot of work in the luxury space the fashion space uh, and the art space um but about a third of our work is um, work that we do more for ourselves. And 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 one of our kind of sort of unofficial mantras is we're extremely interested in technology that helps us understand more about what it means to be human. And perhaps there's an exquisite irony in that. Um, but, but, but it's a large chunk of the work that we do f- uh, uh, for organisations around uh, dementia or um, refugees or uh, mental health, things around those, things that are topics that are big, uh, topics where perhaps technology can uh, help communicate a narrative. And Caroline's initial role was to sort of match us up with, with someone to collaborate with, because collaboration is a very big part of this exhibition. And she introduced us to George. And, and so a lot of the initial conversations that that I had with George were really just listening, um, just putting my ears back and just hearing what he had to say and and then just seeing whether I could find a kind of in, um, something that we could communicate. And, and, I mean, uh, uh, George's mind and his passion and his enthusiasm takes... Takes you on these extraordinary kind of uh, elongated arcs, um, which start very much in the, the micro. We had we had lots of conversations about soil composition, life in soil, nutrients, uh, issues around irrigation um conversations around no two patches of soil are the same anywhere in the world uh, conversations around uh, soil takes a thousand years to to create and once it's gone it's gone and 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 then from that uh, he he would then stretch it out into into the macro and talk about um global e-commerce routes and and planetary environmental issues and and trying to draw that together one of the things that struck me very deeply was this notion that uh, and, and George, George was all over this talking about the notion that, that, that we have very little respect for what we walk on. And, uh, you know, and these are my words, not his, but we seem to know, we often hear that we know more about the surface of Mars than what's under the sea. And, and then you could then extrapolate that out to say we know even, you know, even less about what, what we walk on. So, so I, I kind of really felt that there was an interesting opportunity to have people go through the exhibition and f- come out of it with a bit of more respect. Over the things that they just over the the kind of matter the sort of stuff that they were just walking on, and I think that that was where we started. And and we, as a studio, when we started to think creatively about how we could bring uh, George's uh, sort of vision and his passion to life, we we were very sort of struck with the notion of what would it be like if we were down there peering up, um, and whether we're peering up at us or whether we're peering up at at the global economy or the world. You know what what was the 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 sort of life's view from under the soil and and everything just um, fell
5: forward through that. I've become a bit of a soil evangelist. Um, I see it as perhaps our most wonderful and certainly our most neglected ecosystem. I mean, soil is just incredible. It's it's astonishing what's going on beneath our feet Um, it might not be as beautiful to the eye as a rainforest or a coral reef but it is as beautiful to the mind once you understand what's going on and it's just as abundant and diverse you know beneath a a square meter of of land in britain you could have several hundred thousand animals living there across several thousand species 90 percent of which are unknown to science it's really mind-blowing you know if if you if you're looking for, for a scientific discipline to get into you know if you're a student listening to this become a soil ecologist because that's where the future is we're just beginning to learn what an amazing ecosystem this is and so that's what I've tried to convey in the Barbican exhibition and had a lot of fun with Halition and the Barbican developing that and just to try to sort of capture the wonder of soil and yes to almost to write a poetry of soil to, to to sort of counter these old narratives sort of pastoral poetry the sort of um, the things which we find very beautiful but actually are highly destructive so let's let's let, yeah create um, perhaps um, a, a a new um, culture that celebrates uh, the world beneath our feet one of the reasons why
4: I started to listen is, that, and, and, and heavens, it's, it's got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, is that I think you know we're listening less and less and less, and we're talking more and more and more. And um, you know, one of the artist's roles is to speak, um, and and I feel one of the things that we like to do is listen. Um, so, so the work that we do, you know, some of it can get sort of political. I mean, particularly when we talk about climate change, or, or a piece we did for United Nations um, in collaboration with um, uh, Professor Helen Story from London College of Fashion, you know, ab- about the movement of refugees. These are very emotive issues. But I, I, I always feel uncomfortable, sort of adding to the sort of fire and the heat that comes out of this. I'd, I'd much rather bring people information and try and bring them evidence and facts and then allow them to make up their own decision. I mean, the... The, the Peace for United Nations was a dress that tracked refugee movement in real time and, and visualized that data on, onto a dress, uh, which we made out of a tent that, um, refugees, um, were living in, 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 in Jordan, which had been damaged in a storm and, and was going to be pulped and so we could use it. And it was a centerpiece of an exhibition on big data and climate change at the Science Museum. And I can remember vividly watching two people who were complete strangers looking at the dress. And by this time, the dress had accumulated 68.7 million journeys. And one person saw it as evidence of uh, a kind of need for barriers and borders and controls, you know, uh, huge amounts, an an exodus coming towards us. Someone else saw it from completely the opposite way, which was, um, you know, we have an obligation as human beings to help our fellow humans. And, And I think that's kind of what we try and do. We don't want to drive a narrative we want to support other people's narratives and allow them to take their own views so that's in some ways the approach that we took with this we wanted to tell a story Um, we didn't want to put a a nuance on it we didn't want it to be too apocalyptic we didn't want it to be overtly positive either Um, we just wanted it to be kind of as it is and then people can make up their own minds about it. It probably means it probably means that, that we're not quite as comf- comfortable in our role as an artist as perhaps other other people are. But yeah, we one of the things that one of the ways we operate in in this agency is, is one of my um sort of strategy team has a PhD in in museology, and particularly in that notion of how do you get information to people in a place where they're not expecting te- technology, so you know, in your front room you have a TV, you know what it's going to be, you you um, turn it on, you know how to use it, but but if you stumble across technology, for example, at a museum or at an exhibition or in the high street or at a library or or, or anywhere and you're not expecting it. People often back away from it because they don't know how to use it or what the benefits are. So, how do you engage? How do you use technology? How do you hide technology and then and by that, if you can bring them to you, how do you tell that story? And the story can be simple, but it's got to be. I think it's got to be narrated in a way that is uh, attractive and amenable. Um, Otherwise, I think people drop off quite quite quick quickly. So, so in our piece with George, we tried to use humor. In many ways, um, uh, ambient beauty and humour, and 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 tried to bring some of the creatures that live beneath our, our feet. try to give them characters and personalities. And again, it was all about that respect. And if you like or smile at something, you're less likely to tread all over it. And I think those kind of things were were, were very much in our in our minds when we talk about climate change. It's important, and I'm not I'm not denigrating the issue. It's it's so serious uh, and it's so important that. That, that actually it can overwhelm you and consume you. Um, we, won't, we won't change people's attitudes like in a heartbeat at an exhibition. It, it's a cumulative journey um, of incremental steps to, to, to get the planetary population to that point. Hopefully what we've tried to do is is just get them half a step forward.
1: Our next guests are Anab Jane and John Ardern, who in 2009 founded Superflux, an award-winning experimental design agency that creates visceral experiences that bring future possibilities into the present. At the end of the interview, John references the sound piece that accompanies their exhibition piece, Refuge for Resurgence, which they have kindly allowed us to play a clip from. Please check out the links in the show notes to enjoy the full version.
6: Hi, I'm John. Uh,
7: hi, I'm Anna. Refuge for Resurgence is a multi-species bankway um, that we say set at a different time on our planet. Uh, it is uh, set as a lavish banquet. a table is set and there are 14 seats around the table and uh, there is a seat for two adult humans and a human child and then there are seats for many other species. So there is a seat for a boar, and a seat for a snake, and a seat for a rat, and a pigeon, and a mushroom, a, a wasp, a raven. Essentially, each table setting we've we've designed not just the seating in the stools or the kind of positions but or which these species will occupy along with the humans, but also design uh, the plates that tell the story of the journey from human-led anthrop centric destruction towards an ecological resurgence. And then there is cutlery for each species where the humans offer food to these species. And the idea really at the heart of this kind of very, in our minds, a kind of painterly poetic approach uh, is to draw attention to the fact that we are inviting other species and giving them a seat at the table. And by giving these species a seat at the table, we are recognizing our deep interdependence with all of the species on the planet and really calling time on human exceptionalism. We are saying, you know, we've spent a long time taking, taking, taking from our planet and it is time to give back and it is time to develop a humble uh, relationship with, all species, even species that we might consider pests or vermin.
6: What I would add is um, that the piece is, is very much a, a symbolic representation. It's we're working with the mythic and the poetic. We're not necessarily kind of imagining that that you might get a um,
7: wolf sitting next to a human child,
6: <laughs> but it's about what that represents as you know, kind of bringing these species to the table saying that you know that, that, that we are just part of this wider ecology and all aspects of that wider ecology are important and, and require one another for, for survival.
7: Yeah, it's a different kind of a deconstructed home because there's a view outside a window, which is a more realistic view, which is a rewilded landscape. So again, a hint at the idea that it's not a shiny future where suddenly everything is either rewilded completely, you see remnants of, of history. And in a way, I think something that John talks about a lot is the idea that the future is old and we are building on the sediments of what has been, but really, can we recognise that we are ecologically, emotionally and economically entangled with all other species on the planet? And if we want to move to a place where we are uh, really able to tackle and navigate the ecological crisis, we are going to have to first recognise this very important thing that we that the Earth loves us back as much as we love the Earth and if we develop this kind of mutual relationship, we will start caring for other species. And once we start caring, then we will want to do something about it. And then we'll be able to act from that place of care and humility um, and, and in love for our planet. And I really think that's, such an important shift in, in mind, in our mindset. And we even created a sort of manifesto that invites people to move from a human to a more than human perspective.
6: So the role that we see ourselves taking with this work is, um, it's really giving a, a, an, intimate, an intimate experience of, of what it might mean to, to see the world differently. And to see our part see ourselves as, as one part within this wider ecology. Um, uh, and to give yeah, just to give that form, to say this is this is a manifestation of a of a change of mind and a change of heart. And I think that speaks to potentially one of the more powerful roles that, that the artists can take within the within our current time is the kind of the translation of science but also the translation of kind of, of more intangible feeling-based intuitions about our relationship with with the wider world and giving that form and giving that an experience and i think that the, this obviously the science is is super important and is very scary but i think that often it remains abstract to people it's, it's very easy to to ignore a, a graph and to kind of say well that's just numbers and, and lines plotted unless you're like deeply embedded in that world I don't think it necessarily kind of touches the the human soul in the same way that a piece of art or a piece of poetry or music can. And I think that's what's really necessary in this time is a change of heart and is a change in the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see the world. I think that, you know, all the kind of regulations and scientific predictions won't amount to much if we don't fundamentally change the way that we see our relationship with the world, we'll just kind of, we'll just find other loopholes in, you know, you might have a regulation that says that you can't emit X amount of carbon, but if you still have a, an extractive mindset, and if you still see humans as superior to all other species on the planet, and they're just being a resource to be extracted, then we'll still, we'll just recreate the same problems.
7: I mean, I would only add that, you know, um, we've done some research as well and we've been looking at how the, how our minds and bodies work in an embodied way. Like a lot of current scientific information is presented in a very rational way and we've seen that a lot of that is not working. So the instruments or the tools we have, conception tools we have to address these challenges are not falling short in some way. And that's perhaps because our way of our relation relating to each other, relating to the planet, relating to our rivers and mountains and trees and bees and butterflies is at an emotional and an embodied level. And we strongly believe that our artistic practices can foreground the beauty of these relationships and and therefore uh, uh, kind of create in us a sense of responsibility and a sense of wanting to leave something for future generations and and I I think we have I actually think of our artistic practice has a sort of of a strong responsibility that we have we have this we have these tools we have trained and, and learned to use these different mediums and I think we have an opportunity to really use that responsibility to affect change at a very fundamental
6: level. We do, as artists and designers, we have we are trained in communicating in this kind of very uh, much more visceral and direct way. And that affords a certain power and I think given the urgency of the times, that requires us to use those tools. We should respect that responsibility. One of the other things that that, that the audience would experience when they come into the uh, space is a sound piece and part of that that soundscape is a, uh, a, something that's, that, depending on how we feel, we either call it a poem or a prayer, but it's something like a reimagined um, kind of Lord's Prayer. So you sit down at the table and, and in that it's a, it's a kind of almost a love poem to the earth and to what place within the earth.
8: Together we shared we share our restless, our restless earth, across, across millennia, millennia, epochs and aeons, our, our union, union coded in body and spirit, over time, time so deep it's, it's marked in the, the rising, rising of mountains, mountains, and the mountains and the forming of, the of, oceans. of the oceans. But, but with, with the, the churning of the seas and the slow drift of, and slow slow
5: drift of tectonic plates,
8: some, some, fracture some, some of us fractured our sublime union with ravenous greed and mindless extraction, with frightening desire for power and control, with with an an arrogant arrogant disregard disregard for the bonds bonds that sustain us. But But the earth earth never forgot our sacred bond, calling calling us back when we were lost, reminding us us of our timeless love,
5: rising Rising in the the grey
8: rock of snow-capped mountains mountains, and and moving moving in the flutter of the blue monarch's wings, a love love etched in the rings of every tree that has ever graced our restless earth. Now, once again, this vast love calls us home, to sit, to sit once, once more with more humility, humility and respect at the table, at the table of our kinship, at the table of our shared purpose, purpose. At, the at the table of our shared tales, to, to sit together in the acknowledgement that we are one with the eternal dance, our dance of our restless earth, earth. our forms changing in unison with one another, in unison with the changing climate and drifting continents, the dance of life ebbing and flowing across time.
1: We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, please make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcast and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. A special thanks to all our incredible guests, Caroline Till, Jonathan Chippendale, George Mombio, Anab Jane, John Ardern, for taking time to talk to us. If you're in London the next couple of months, our Time on Earth exhibition will be running at the Barbican until the 29th of August.
9: Hello, Outrage and Optimism listeners, this is Clay, producer of Outrage and Optimism. Thank you for joining us this week as we shared the first episode of the Arts and Ecology podcast we co-produced with the Dartington Art School. Thanks for joining us. So, Natasha gave a thank you to everyone involved, but I've been missing doing the credits the past couple weeks, and I feel like I just gotta say something. So, (laughs) I did want to give a shout out to both Sarah Thomas, our executive producer, for recording these interviews for this episode, editing this podcast episode, and of course, thank you to Natasha Rivet Karnak and the arts and ecology team for creating the Arts and Ecology Podcast, which is now available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and other places. So go hit subscribe and follow. And for allowing us the opportunity to share this episode with our listeners. Oh, and regular listeners might recognize Natasha's last name because Natasha and Tom have been married for 15 years. The more you know. Shout out to the Darnington Art School. What a cool place. Um, if you're interested in radical visions of a future we might choose, which if you're listening to me talk right now, chances are pretty high. Go to the show notes to connect with them. Give them a follow. Everything to click and connect is in the show notes right there. We are so privileged to have listeners in over 150 countries for this podcast and If you're thinking, okay, I can't make it to London to go visit the exhibition at the Barbican, but I want to check it out, there is an opportunity for you to check out some of the art at barbican.org.uk, right from a phone or a computer or at home on an internet device. Uh, Do yourself a favor. Check out our time on earth again at barbican.org.uk. There's a link in the show notes I have for you there. And if you can, check it out on a larger screen, something bigger than your phone. You know, we kind of normalize looking at things on our phones, and this art deserves as much space for you to experience it as you can give it. So go check it out, dive in, listen, watch, look, enjoy. Okay, off my soapbox. Um, actually, wait, no, back on my soapbox. I need your attention for a second. We only have three more weeks of outrage and optimism podcasts before we take our little summer break. And so, you know, as we've been offering up some podcasts on our podcast that can carry you through the break we're going to take soon, it does give us a little warmth inside, you know, when we know you miss us just a little bit. So while we do have over 160 episodes you can catch up on while we're away, be sure to hit subscribe or follow our podcast so you don't miss another episode. Three more weeks. Okay. Next week, another episode coming your way. Looking forward to it. We'll see you then.